everybody, welcome to Improv Town. As always, I am your host, Clayton Mashad, and this episode is for anyone who's ever been interested in improvising a full-length murder mystery. Hopefully it will teach you everything that you need to know to go from scratch to creating a full-length, 90-minute or so ensemble-based improv murder mystery. And this is going to be a unique episode because normally, as you know, I'm interviewing a guest But in this episode, it's just me talking about my personal experience with doing improvised murder mysteries. Originally, this was supposed to be a mini-sode. So one of the great citizens of Improv Town sent me a message asking me for advice on doing murder mysteries, improvised murder mysteries. And so I wrote out some notes for them and thought, hey, why don't I just do a mini-sode where I share with the public all of the things that I was sharing with this individual And it turned out to be way, way longer than I had hoped. I thought it was just going to be 20 minutes, but it turned out to be a full-length episode. So I wasn't intending to do a solo episode of just me talking, but that's what it ended up being. And so I hope you enjoyed. If you have any more questions about doing improvised murder mysteries, feel free to message me. There's the Improv Town podcast Facebook page. That's probably the best way to go about it. And I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you find it useful. As always, if you like this podcast, rate and review us. And like the Facebook page. So you want to do an improvised murder mystery. You have your cast. So naturally, you're probably going to end up wanting to do an ensemble style murder mystery, right? So you're not going to want to have a a single detective. That wouldn't really make it very ensemble-y. So you're going to want to do something in the style of Clue or something in the style of... And then there were none. So usually the good cast is around six, seven, or eight characters. And then you can obviously have guest players come in when they come to town. Right, so the first thing you want to do is before you even worry about the form, before you focus at all on what the show is actually going to be like, there's a few just basic skills or basic exercises that you probably want to spend at least a few weeks working on. One of the exercises that are super helpful is genre circles. So if you're not familiar with a genre circle, everyone forms a circle and you go around and you all just list tropes of that genre. So with the murder mystery, there are various different types of tropes that you can list. So maybe the first genre circle, you'd go around and you'd say, what type of character do you expect to find in a murder mystery? So the eccentric millionaire, the diva, the general the corrupt politician, the sexually charged widow, the undercover police officer, etc., etc. So you go around in the circle and you do that. If the person can't think of one, they just say skip and you just go around. You know, you really want to go around, probably list 30 things. It doesn't have to be super good. It's just everyone is sharing with everyone else what they know about the genre. So even if you don't know anything about the genre, then you can through osmosis kind of absorb some of these tropes and even if you know a lot you might hear other things that you wouldn't have thought of that fire you all right so then other topics that you can do in this murder mystery genre circle so you can do what type of motives for murder are common so someone stole the family inheritance someone slept with someone else's significant other somebody is blackmailing somebody else right So you'd go around and you do those. 
Other things you could do are dialogue or innuendos. So a lot of the time in murder mysteries, I'll have like the sexual innuendos, or there's obviously like classic just types of lines of dialogue. So one example might be, well, aren't you pretty enough to kill? Wink. Uh, you can also do location. So a ski lodge in the Adirondacks or a mansion in the middle of the country, like out a mansion out in the country, whatever. Um, relationships. So former lovers, estranged parent and child, etc. All right, so those are the genre circles. Uh, the, another exercise that you really want to focus a lot on is the Laurent. So if you're not familiar with the Laurent, Laurent is French for the circle, I believe, or the round. <laughs> and the way that it works is say you have five players or any number of players who are going to play five characters. You can do it. I've seen great two people Laurents where they play multiple characters. So the way it works is scene one would be character one and two. Character one would either find a way to leave or the scene would end. The next character, next scene would be characters two and three. Next one would be three and four, four and five. And then the final scene is character five meeting back with character one. And so you could do this where you ended the scene, but I think specifically for the genre of murder mystery, where it's probably going to be slamming doors, mono scene style, I would really focus on having the people find excuses to leave and excuses to enter. And the thing that you really want to focus on when you're doing this form, especially for a murder mystery, is that the most important thing in doing a murder mystery is platform, right? You need to set up tons and tons of platforms so that you know tons and tons of things about every character so that later when you need to justify, when you need to basically make up someone who is the murderer, right? Because there's not going to be a real murder, that you have all these things that you can pull from, that you can make accusations and counter accusations. So if somehow just at the beginning, someone said, oh, yeah, well, my oil business isn't doing particularly well, then later in the murder, you can say, oh, well, this is because this person sabotaged your oil well. And even if, I mean, nobody knows that that's true, right? It's a murder mystery. It's a secret. People don't know <laughs> what's really going on. The whole point is that people are keeping secrets and that there's some motive. So every detail matters. It's not like in regular narrative where you have to use everything. Right. Normally, you don't want there to be inefficient, frivolous things that you don't use. Right. Use everything. Use everything. That's normally how you would do narrative. That is not how you do a murder mystery, because in mysteries, first of all, you can't use everything because if everything was important, then it would be obvious who did it. Right. The whole way that a murder mystery is done, any mystery crime thing is that there's lots of hints that you think are meaningful. And those are purposely put there by the writers as red herrings in order to make you think, oh, well, this person said that, so that's, this person must be guilty, right? Everything is only important in the sense that you have tons of stuff. You need tons of stuff so that you can pull from particular things and you need everything. So, you know, only a few of those things are going to matter, but there needs to be a lot because everything really can't matter. Otherwise, it wouldn't be mysterious and secretive anymore. So, you know, it'd be scene one and two. Oh, remember when we were in college together? Oh, yeah, there was that crazy party where that thing happened. Oh, yeah, I don't think we should talk about that thing. Okay. And again, in normal, in normal improv, you tend not to want to be vague about things and not talk about things, you know, either A, because, 
you know, if, if we're saying, oh, that thing happened, yeah, let's not talk about that, then it's hard for those two people to get on the same page if you're actually doing narrative improv where that's going to matter. But in murder mystery, that's not really important. They can just say, let's not talk about that and then move to another thing. Oh, how's your brother? Oh, I heard he's been in the hospital. Oh, yeah, he got in that car crash, right? And so it doesn't matter that we don't know what that thing is that happened in the past. It doesn't even matter that player one and two don't know what it is. Because later, when someone's making an accusation at the at the finale of the show, they can say, I know that back in college, you two accidentally drove into the river with your friend and you let her die. Or, I know that when you two were in college, you broke into the treasury and burnt all that money. Whatever it is. So you want to leave things purposely vague. So there are a lot of things that you you would do in a murder mystery that you don't do in regular shows or regular either narrative long form or just improv in general, right? And vice versa. So yeah, backstory is super important. You can also hint at other people. You might say, you know, it might be the scene with person one and two and you say, oh, have you heard that person three is getting a divorce? Or have you heard that Sally is getting a divorce? Yeah, turns out her husband was sleeping with the secretary, right? And then maybe when that third person comes in, it's up to them, but they could decide to be that Sally character. And then you already kind of have this backstory. They could either purposely not talk about it, and that's hinting at something. They could talk about it and say, oh yeah, I'm so mad if I saw that bitch kill her or something that then obviously insinuates, oh, maybe this person is a murderer, even though it's just a totally kind of normal thing that a person might say in that situation. And again, the having the people come and go is good for training for the murder mystery, because slamming doors, people entering and exiting, there being two people on stage is important in order to reveal secrets, right? You wouldn't reveal secrets in a cocktail party situation per se. You might, you know, whisperingly do so and do so in a hushed fashion, but generally you're not uh, talking about murder and motive and dark secrets when other people are around. So there's going to be a lot of two-person scenes in a murder mystery. All right, the third exercise that is really important that to work on is the cocktail party. If you're not familiar with that, the way you do it is, for example, you have three groups of two people at different points on a stage, a stage left, stage right, stage center, you know, either up or down, and uh, you just take turns having conversations. So what you're practicing is the idea of couple on the right is talking, oh, how was your day? It was good. Did you hear that so-and-so did such-and-such to so-and-so? And what you're practicing is that another group is just going to start. As soon as there's a minor lull or that group has been talking for a while, another group starts talking. Another couple starts talking and the other group falls silent. They continue to act as if they're having the conversation right, but they instantly end their conversation and fade out. It's essentially like a tag out in, in a montage, but you're not doing, uh, but obviously you're not tagging out. The other person is just starting to talk. So it's similar to a soft edit. If you've ever done the soft edit on long form or instead of a tag out, another person, you know, or instead of a wipe, I should say, two other people just walk on the stage and start starting a new scene and the other people know that that's uh, the edit. All right, and so you're really just practicing that ability to have multiple conversations going on at the same time where it's the equivalent of the camera focusing 
in on each group, right? So the three people are pretending to talk. You can either be actually saying words, uh, but you want to be listening to the other people, right? Especially in a murder mystery, because you need to be able to pull from the things that the other people are saying. So it's probably not super useful to actually be having a real conversation. You can kind of uh, maybe have a little bit of a real conversation if you're listening, or maybe you could even say to the other person like, hey, when it gets to us, let's talk about something, even though I don't know if you want to do that or not. And we don't, I don't think that's something that, that really happened a lot, but I guess maybe if you wanted to convey some sort of idea, I guess technically you could. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's easier just to, to just say the alphabet mutely. That's what I used to do. I know there's other ones where you say watermelon or spaghetti or something. All right, yeah, so that's really just training the skill of moving from conversation to conversation in order to be able to create that effect that they have in ensemble murder mystery movies. And of course, then you can take it to the next level and you can have one person leave and join another group and you can mix up the groups while you're doing this whole thing. And once you do it enough, you become just really good at it. It's really hard at first to have the people start talking and the other people stop talking at the exact same time. You don't want any overlap. Or if there is overlap, maybe one group is talking for a really long time and then you might say something that where the first word doesn't matter. Well, you know what I think, and then it would it would transition. But the ideal thing is really to have you you get used to where that pauses in the conversation, and then you instantly start talking about something else. And once you practice a lot, you can get it to be really seamless, and it works. It's a very effective technique. And so the fourth thing you want to do is before you start even working on the show is familiarize yourself with the genre. Right. Obviously, that's what we were doing with the genre circles, but obviously just consuming some murder mysteries is going to be helpful. Hopefully the players have already done some sort of research, but so you can either assign what I'm about to say as homework or you can just have it as kind of a group get together, a group party. And that's good because it helps with ensemble building. Obviously, the more people get to know each other's personalities and get comfortable with each other, the better the stage dynamic is going to be. So what I recommend is... Everyone definitely should watch the movie Clue, right? That's really what you should be aiming for as an improvised ensemble murder mystery, right? It's a perfect ensemble piece, perfect for a lot of reasons. One, it's a great ensemble piece. Two, it's campy and funny, and they know that they're doing genre, right? The genre, the fact that they're doing a genre piece is part of the game of the movie and that's really something that you want to take advantage of you're doing an improvised murder mystery people know that you're doing an improvised murder mystery and that it's improvised if you were writing an original murder mystery you wouldn't want to be overly cliche right you want to come up with brilliant new things that no one has ever done but that's not how you improvise a genre right you rely on tropes and they get huge laughs because people know that that's what happens so the fact that clue is campy is really something that you want to be embracing. The other great thing about Clue in terms of an improvised murder mystery is that there are really three endings. So when it first came out, various theaters got various endings. There's all different, there's, you know, there's different endings in which a different person committed the murder. And the other reason why that's super essential to an improvised murder mystery is because that's what you have to have it be. You have to have it be that whoever got murdered 
by the end, any player could accuse any other player of having committed the murder, and the rest of the players could justify, based on all that backstory that you created, why it makes sense that that person committed that murder. And so that's what Clue does, obviously, right? Because they have multiple possible murderers, there are multiple different endings, so it's set up in this way so that multiple people could possibly be guilty of the murder, given all of the background information that you set up. And so the other movie I would recommend is And Then There Were None. So that's Agatha Christie's, it might be her most famous piece, but it's also one of her few ensemble pieces that isn't a detective protagonist setup. And so that one's just really great about ensemble dynamics and mysteries and, and everything. Not as important as Clue. If you're going to have a movie night with your group, definitely do Clue for those three reasons. Great ensemble work. It really shows you how you can play up the campiness and the genre-ness and be aware of the fact that you're doing the genre and use that as a comedic device. And then third, the way that you have to create it so that multiple people could potentially have committed the crime. All right, so that is all just stuff that you do before you even start working on the form at all, before you even start working on an actual improvised murder mystery show. All right, so next, you want to start creating the show. So the first thing that I recommend you doing, so a lot of these are going to be prescribed. You don't have to do any of these. You could you could not do any of them, and you could still do a great murder mystery. However, I recommend that you do these things, especially if you've never done one before, if your theater has never done one before. Because these will just make it easier, help you avoid pitfalls that you might fall into, help you avoid things that might be difficult about the form, and will make it look like a more professional, cohesive, actual murder mystery. So the first thing that I would recommend that you do is that you choose a time period for the murder mystery. And you want to have it be in that time period all the time. One of the reasons that you want to do that is because it allows people to do research and become familiar with things. Of course, people... You know, you're going, you, you're going to have to have all of these background conversations, all of these conversations that are seemingly just social and pointless and are small talk, but they're all going to have little clues and little things that make it important. So these people need to be able to talk like they actually exist in this time. It's taking place during the Great Depression. Then you actually need to know things about the Dust Bowl or know things about the stock market and know who the president is, etc. Right. In order to be able to have actual realistic conversations, you need to know major events of that time. And so we in ours, we chose to do post-war 1940s. I think that's a pretty good error. I don't think that you really want to go much past the 50s because it becomes too modern. Uh, so I recommend just some general old-timey time where people had butlers and there was still status because status is something that is great to play with. Status kind of disappears as a forced construct um, at the beginning of the 60s, right? So it's helpful to have a butler, and I'll talk more about that in a second, but it's it's helpful to do it in a time that has these specific social constraints and where gender roles, even though you don't necessarily want to conform to them and bend to them, they can still be a useful device even if people are rebelling against them, right? You don't need to act as if they are true to play in a society in which they exist, right? All right, and then you don't necessarily want to choose a setting. I think it's helpful to do it in a single location. 
that is preferably either like a party or like a hotel situation where people are arriving. As far as choosing a location, you obviously just kind of want to choose the country. I don't even know if that matters. I guess that's, that doesn't super matter other than the fact that, uh, again, going with the time period, if it takes place in America in the 1940s, then you want to know the important newsworthy events at that time. You want to know who the president is, what movies are popular, who famous actors and actresses are. And so just keeping it in America, I guess, is helpful because if you switch to it being in France or in England, you wouldn't no longer know those things. So time period and country. All right. So the other thing I'm going to recommend tends to be is very non-standard in improvised long form done various long form improvised narratives and we don't always do this but i'd highly recommend it in this case which is for each person to create their own character and to play that character throughout the entire run this is helpful for a few reasons one you don't have to worry about the names names are going to be even more complicated in a murder mystery than they are going to be in any other genre because you're going to talk about people before they come onto the stage when they're not in the room. It's way harder to fake the names. It's way harder to just not use names in the way that you could get away with, since that's how most people talk in the real world, right? That knowing the names is super important. Being consistent with the names is super important because of the details because of referring to people and how everything that gets said about everyone matters. You talk about people before they arrive, which is something you might not do in other things. So those people you know, might want to know that they're the person that they're being talked about. Another thing is that you want a good balance of stereotypical characters. Of course, you don't need to have pre-assigned characters to do that, but it helps with that. It also helps. So you're going to have some sort of backstory, like your name and your profession. Your backstory is obviously going to depend every time on, you know, what you get endowed with. In one, you might, you know, they might say that your wife just died. and one, they might say that you just got married. So you don't really have a fixed backstory, but you have a fixed name, a fixed profession, and in general, a, a fixed personality, even though obviously that's fun to play. It's fun to play, you know, a very high status general, and then maybe you're that same character, General Smith. And then in another one, you play a low-status, shell-shocked character. You know, so in our show, we had one couple that was married, and they were always a married couple. But of course, you could mix it up and have some people be a couple and some, and have people not be a couple. And the other, it's really not a restriction. You just, you just have a name, so everybody knows the name. It's not something you have to learn in every show. It's not something you have to think of. You can refer to people before they've arrived, and they know what's going on. You can set up great details for people who aren't even there, or you can set up a relationship between two people like, oh, I hear Peter Mint and Judge Masterson are coming tonight. Do you think they're sleeping together? Right, and that's already setting something up. And the two people offstage could be like, yes, great. They're already setting this up for us. Right, so like I was saying, it's not really a restriction because you just have names and professions and everything else is still fully improvised. So I would recommend that definitely if you're doing it for the first time, definitely if you're doing long form narrative for the first time, because there's so many things going on. The fact that you don't have to worry about names and don't have to worry about exactly who you are. So, you know, you know, you're the general, you know, you're the senator, you know, you're the butler, you know, you're the judge, you know, you're the professor, you know, you're the diva, you know, you're the journalist, whatever character you create 
you already at least have that. All right, so it takes some of the burden off that and allows you to focus on the more important narrative genre things. It's also helpful because if you get to create your own character, and then you know, since you're doing these long two-hour shows, you get to pick a character that you're interested in playing, right? And also you don't have to worry about being endowed as the prostitute or being endowed as the crazy person or being endowed as the idiot. It also just helps that you get to play a character you want to play. And so the other thing that this allows you to do is it allows you to costume the show, right? So in a lot of traditional improv, we don't have props and we don't have costumes. I think if you're doing a period murder mystery, costumes are great. They just make it look more professional. They allow you to feel more in the period if you're dressed in the period and the other people are dressed in the period. So that helps you get into character. Just wearing that outfit kind of puts you into character. So costuming is great. Obviously that you can also do settings. I would recommend that you do settings. So just, you know, it's just some old looking living room. Maybe you have a chaise lounge or an old style couch, paintings on the walls whatnot and so obviously if you have a time place and a character that helps with the costuming right if you're always a professor then you know a professor dresses a certain way versus a senator versus a newspaper person versus a butler all right so that's the second stage of preparation before you get to again before you get to the actual show and so now i'm just going to walk you through a prescribed example of how a show would go. Oh, so I said I'd talk about the butler. The butler is a super helpful character to have because that person can easily facilitate moving people on and off the stage. So they can say, oh, so-and-so is looking for you. Oh, allow me to show you this. You have a phone call in the other room, etc. So, you know, if two people have been on stage too long and someone else is coming in and you can tell that those two people haven't talked to each other, the butler can, if the butler recognizes that, it's a super helpful tool for facilitating this kind of slamming doors effect. And then also the butler, in classic butler sense, can be a person who's there, but people will still talk as if he's not there. And he can have secrets about the house and know things that other people won't know, and it's, it doesn't come off as weird. Again, super helpful if you haven't done it before. If you're super pros, you might not need the butler because everyone is... Everyone should be pretty expert at, at doing the coming and going and kind of loose rounding it up. But having a butler, especially who's an experienced player with doing narrative long form, is definitely a useful thing that you can do. All right, so now onto the actual show. Again, this is going to be a prescribed kind of outline based on how we did our show. You can do it differently. I've definitely heard of the family used to do their murder mystery right after they did a Herald, and they would just come on and go, there's been a murder. That's not at all how I recommend it. I've never, obviously did not see the family perform this. I've never actually seen people do the murder mystery where it just starts with a murder. It's for me to say, I don't recommend it. It's tough because I don't actually have super experience with it. However, in my opinion, the most important thing about doing a murder mystery is establishing lots of platform and lots of details and lots of relationships before the murder actually happened. So the way that our shows would start is the butler would come out, they would welcome the audience, and they would make up a location. So, good evening everybody. Welcome to Red Rocks, winter retreat for the rich and famous. Allow me to introduce tonight's guests. And since they already, since everyone has an established name, that person could say, Senator Kermit Claiborne. 
And then that person would walk out and say one line. It's better to be feared than loved, but I prefer both. Whatever, you know, some line. They would call out, each person would come out, say their one line. Maybe kind of schmooze with the audience. If you're a politician, maybe you run out and shake some people's hands. Uh, Everyone is on stage, and then the butler has the audience vote for who's going to own the property. So whose house or whose hotel or whatever the show is going to take place in tonight. All right, they do that by a round of applause. Someone gets selected, lights go down, everyone leaves, and then lights come up, and it's usually the butler and that character who owns the property preparing for the party. There could be one of the other characters there if they felt like it was necessary, if they already wanted to be there for some reason. Maybe they're the person who owns the property's friends, but people haven't arrived for this event yet. So similar to Laurent, these two people are having a scene, talking about their backstory, talking about maybe why they're having the party, talking about the guests, revealing hints. After maybe two or three minutes of this, eventually the doorbell will ring, the first guest, maybe first pair of guests will show up, the butler will, you know, take their luggage and coat and stuff, maybe bring it up to their room, so then you have a scene between the host and these other people. This other person or people, they talk, again, backstory, 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 platform, 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 hints, 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 secrets, secrets, secrets. Eventually, the doorbell rings, some other people show up, so either the host will find some reason to leave, like, I'm gonna go check on the ham. And these characters will be alone, so I'll explain it as if people are coming on one at a time. Usually it's every other person will kind of be a pair or whatnot. And then when two people come on at one time, they can either pretend to be strangers, like, oh, we just met on the train, but then really, maybe they really knew each other the whole time. Right, so you can use even that as a dynamic, or it can be used to establish preconceived relationships, relationships that are just established because they came on together. And they said, oh, we traveled together from Atlanta, whatever. So one person comes on, you know, the second guest shows up, maybe the host leaves to check on dinner, those two people have a conversation, uh, most of the people should know each other, even if everyone doesn't know that they actually know each other. So these people do some backstory, reveal some secrets, maybe the butler comes back, maybe one of them leaves, and then that second guest has a conversation with the butler where you find out maybe the butler used to work for the second person, the third person shows up, you know, maybe the butler takes their stuff and leaves and you have a scene with the second and the third person, the fourth and fifth person shows up, the third and fourth person, one of them decides to leave or they go off together and then the Maybe the host comes back in now, the host has a conversation with that fourth and fifth person, then maybe just one of those fourth, you know, maybe then just person four leaves to say, oh, player two is here, character two is here, oh, I'm, they're in the billiards room, I'm going to go see them. And then once that person leaves, that obviously changes the relationship between the host and person five, you know, maybe then they start revealing some secret, or maybe person four and five are are a couple. And then once person four leaves, you find out that person five and the host used to be in a relationship together that person two doesn't know about, etc. Right? Then maybe they go off, maybe they sneak off to go have a tryst while player four is distracted by player two in the billiards room. 
and they, then you know, character six shows up. I'll just say there's six characters. Character six shows up. The butler answers it. I mean, him and the butler have a conversation again. Platform, platform. Secrets are revealed. Maybe he has a relationship with the butler, or maybe he's asking the butler about character three. So that hints that they have some sort of thing like, oh, how? So we could either be, you know, maybe some romantic interest or maybe some motive. Did he look like he had a briefcase on him? Or was she wearing those jewels she always wears? Or whatnot, right? So, again, establishing some motive, blah, blah, blah. Maybe then the butler leads him to his room, and then player two and four, right? So I said four went off to join two in the billiards room. Maybe they stumble back in, having some drinks. They talk, so then you get to see two and four's relationship. Then maybe person two goes off to to get another bottle of brandy and then person three comes in so then three and four have a relationship and so by this time you know you've seen uh various different people all intermingling there's never really more than two or three people on the stage at the same time uh, only very briefly and then they find a way to leave you could do a little cocktail partying for that small amount of time while they were on stage together but generally you're you're doing a kind of slamming doors in and out technique where you're creating a lot of two people scenes so people can say lots of private secrets and you can find out the true meaning of relationships and how people really feel about other people and it's a very kind of following a very loose Laurent. Eventually people start returning more and more then you basically have almost everyone on the stage at some point about 30 minutes in if you're aiming for an hour and a half roughly so maybe 30 minutes in people start piling back in after a few minutes then everyone is on stage you're kind of doing the cocktail party thing everyone is talking and you know, at some point the lights go out blackout maybe there's lightning and thunder and lightning maybe there's a gunshot even though obviously a gunshot means that the person has been shot and it hasn't been another weapon but so lights go out and when the lights come back on somebody is dead and this is definitely a technique that you need to train, right? Because one person, and hopefully only one person, it could be a double murder, but that's just one less player that you intended to have in that second act that you don't have. So hopefully one person has to die. And that person, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, will not be in that second act. They could either somehow have not been dead, or they could come on as a secondary character. But most of the time, they won't get to be in that second act. At least not very much. So that's one. So you have to work on it for multiple things that people have to be willing to sacrifice being in the second act. So obviously you want to rotate it. You don't want there to be a person who's selfish and just never dies. And also you have to kind of get used to it's it's a blackout. The audience shouldn't be able to see what's going on. But when the lights come up, there has to be essentially only one person dead. If one person is tote is obviously, obviously dead and one person is just passed out in a chair playing dead, then they can be like, oh, oh, I fainted, whatever. But so that's just something you want to train. So you can train just that, right? Have everyone in the room, have them talking, do a blackout, turn the lights back on, see if there's only one person dead. And you can train that till everyone kind of gets fairly comfortable sussing it out when there's just one person dead. All right. Also, the other thing is when it's blacked out, you want to make as much noise as possible. So if there's a table near you or glasses near you, you want to jiggle them. You want there to be a lot of commotion when the blackout happens, right, to obviously for it to sound like there's been a scuffle and that a murder has happened. Uh, lights come out, someone is dead, people obviously freak out, of course, someone's been murdered, they freak out, 
they accuse people in the room. Maybe not actually everyone was in the room. Maybe only five of the six characters or seven of the eight characters are actually in the room. So then they say, oh, we're so-and-so. Maybe they did it. Are they okay? You think it's, you know, you think it's an intruder in the house that you don't know. Everyone is, everyone is confused, right? Someone's been murdered. People are freaking out. They're confused. Uh, maybe someone goes for the phone and the phone line is cut. Uh, maybe earlier you already established like, oh, it, that, oh, it's so snowy. Looks like we're stuck here for the night. Uh, classic tropes, right? <laughs> no, no access to the outside world. And then the first act ends with maybe people deciding, I don't feel safe around you. I'm going to my room and locking the door. Maybe people form a search party. Various ways that somehow this, this group breaks up. They're either forming a search party and each going to search different places. Certain people are going to their room and other people are doing whatever. Maybe some people stick behind to, to try to deal with the body, you know, to put it away. And so then people leave. Maybe two people are left on stage and they can say some hinting line. Maybe not. Maybe everyone just leaves in the search party. And that's the end of the first act. That's intermission. So during intermission, uh, you don't want to pre-plan anything. Super important not to pre-plan what's going to happen in the second act. In the intermission, I recommend everyone just goes around in a circle and says, I'm character one. I'm Senator Claiborne. And goes around the circle. All right, you, you're Lillian Masterson. You're the judge. You donated a lot to my campaign, and it kind of sounds like you wanted me to pass this law that would help you somehow. All right, you're the journalist. I'm mad at you because you printed an unfavorable article about me. All right, you're the professor. We used to go to college together, but then we had a falling out after some event that we haven't talked about. Uh, you, you're the diva. I proposed to you 20 years ago and you said no, but now you're older and you're not as glamorous anymore and now you regret it and wish that we had been together and you're trying to seduce me and get back with me, whatever. So you go and everyone goes around the circle and talks about their relationship with everyone else. And so you're not pre-planning, but you're just crystallizing and you're knowing everyone's relationship to everyone else. And I'm sure there's lots of stuff that you'll find out that you weren't aware of because you were just doing other stuff when these other relationships were established. All right, and then the second act. Well, the second act is pretty easy. Literally, we spent 80% of our rehearsals just working, getting up to that murder, because that is the most important thing, is the platform. All right, so as I was saying, uh, once the murder happens, the rest is actually pretty easy. We spent a lot of time, we spent most of our time just focusing on doing that platform and getting to the murder. So murder happens, uh, accusations break up into groups, everyone leaves the stage, intermission, you go backstage and uh, you catch up, but you don't pre-plan. So the second act is actually going to follow a pretty similar form to the first act, where you're still going to be doing a lot of two-person scenes until everyone gets on stage and uh, someone gets accused and is either found guilty or turns an accusation and someone else ends up being guilty. And then you deal with those consequences one way or another. Or everyone dies, if that's, if that's what you want. So the second act is obviously structured, but you still kind of want to rely on doing a lot of two-person scenes coming and going, but you're not really going to do a, a Laronde style as much. So maybe the uh, second act starts, two people might enter, and they're talking about who they think did it. They're 
know, searching for a weapon, searching whatever. And again, it's just people talking about it, talking about their reactions, reacting to the murder, maybe accusing the other person, maybe being in cahoots with the other person. Maybe they're really worried about another problem, but it makes it sound kind of suspicious, like they're worried about one problem. And so you have that two-person scene, they're kind of in movement. So like I said, maybe they're, they're searching or maybe they're just sitting there stressing out, drinking. And then, you know, they have their conversation, they have their scene again. Not so much platform, but still talking about how they feel about things, talking about their relationships. Those two people probably find an excuse to leave. Two more people enter. Maybe you have some sort of offstage area that is another location. It's not really necessary, but you know, maybe that they're in a bedroom or something and they're talking. And so again, you just have a bunch of these two-person scenes with people coming and going. Usually as a group, it's not so much the Laurent in and out slamming doors that I said before. It's usually two people coming out, talking, exiting to go continue their search or continue their mourning or whatnot. Two more people come. You can, you know, you can still do the one person leaves and then another person comes. Two people might enter and the other people don't notice and they overhear it. Two people can enter when there are two other people already there. And then maybe those two people find an excuse to leave. So you can still mix with the mess with the groups and the dynamics and stuff. But it's like I said, it's less of the Laurent and more of two people scenes, two people coming, going, two people entering with, like I said, plenty of overlap. Um, so that basically just happens, you know, maybe also um, that's when other relationships can start. Things can start actually happening. So it's the example where the senator and the diva, the senator had been in love with the diva, but she wouldn't marry him. But now she's no longer in her heyday, so she wants to seduce him. So maybe you see, you know, maybe that seduction happens. Or maybe they enter and it, clothes are all ruffled and hair like they definitely just had sex, whatnot. So things can happen. If two people had seemed like they have an issue, maybe they can have their fight or maybe they can resolve their fight or maybe you can find out about certain secrets. Maybe people who weren't guilty can act guilty. Maybe somebody can start confessing that they were really in love with the victim, uh, yada yada. So again, so you have eight people, you know, maybe you do six scenes that are all kind of two-person scenes. Obviously that means that there has to be some rearranging of the groups. So if you do six scenes, that probably takes you, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, up to half an hour. Maybe a second, it's totally likely that a second murder happens. Usually it would happen off stage. Maybe two people are in the room and then a gunshot goes off. So they run to see what happened. And then two more people enter the stage. Someone comes back and says, so-and-so has been shot. You have to deal with that. Now, maybe they can't find the body. Maybe the body disappears and you have to deal with that. Maybe an affair is revealed. Maybe a couple breaks up. You know, so that's really when events happen. You don't really want any events or any really plot stuff to happen in that first half. You don't really want to be planning for things to happen. It's all just backstory. You don't want to say we should do this. You don't want to have the couple fall back in love or the couple get divorced or the affair to be revealed in that first half. All of that is going to happen in the beginning of this second act. So you do that. That takes about half an hour. And then similarly to the first act, eventually just everyone kind of comes back on stage and then things get heated. Someone 
makes an accusation, someone accuses somebody else. Again, there isn't an actual murderer, so this relies all on pulling stuff from the backstory. So, Senator, I know, I know it was you that killed the reporter, because she wrote this bad story about you. I saw you two talking earlier. She steamed out in a huff, so obviously you tried to, to get her to retract the story, and she wouldn't, and so you killed her. And you probably just don't want it to be as simple as him to say, okay, yeah, you're right, I killed him. So he says, no, that's not really what happened. We were actually in a relationship, and she did this story because I wouldn't leave my wife, and then I was finally telling her that I would leave my wife, but that I just needed six months, and she said that wasn't long enough, so she stormed out or whatever. But I do know who did it. It was the butler. They had been having an affair, and uh, when he found out that she was really trying to get with me, he was filled with jealous rage and murdered her. And then maybe, you know, someone else, and of course, you know, someone will make an accusation and then another person will say, well, that does make sense because I saw or heard this other thing too. Right? So the first person gets accused, maybe they accept it, or maybe they say, no, this is what really happened. I think this other person did it. And you don't want to do too much of this back and forth. You definitely don't want to fight. Once the person explains why they didn't do it and accuses someone else, don't don't turn it into a fight where the first person who's accused accuses the second person and then they fight and some of the people don't believe it, right? You don't want to like, you don't want to have these just turn into arguments. So if the first person gives a fairly good excuse for their suspicious behavior and turns it on another person, the attention focuses, refocuses on that second person. And you don't want to pass it around too much. Really, you probably want it to be that second or maybe the third person. Maybe the butler could say, well, you're right. I was going to kill her. You know, I walked into her room to confront her and instead I saw the judge leaning over her glass of wine, pouring something into it. Right. But that would really, you don't really definitely don't want to go further than three people being accused. And so then at that point, say that that's what happened, then the judge would be like, no, I was just, uh, she had said that she liked brandy and I had some brandy, so I was just going to leave it in her room, but she wasn't there, so I I came back. That doesn't make sense. You guys weren't friends. I heard you guys fighting outside in the garden about how you were being bribed and she was going to print that, that you were being bribed. And then someone else, you know, would add some other some other compelling evidence for why the judge was the murderer. And so the important thing is that eventually someone, either that second or third person, has to concede, right? Since there's no proof that anyone did it, right, because someone didn't actually do it, if everyone just keeps denying it and nobody wants to be the murderer, uh, then it doesn't work, right? So someone has to concede. Someone has to be willing to lose, even though being the murderer is obviously fun. Or one thing that could happen is that two other people could be fighting and maybe someone just confesses. Maybe, you know, in one of those classic, the person gets so upset that, like, you can't handle the truth that they just admit what happens. You know, maybe the person who's being accused, another character says, that person could never do it. They're an idiot. I've always had to look out for them my entire life. What do you mean you've had to look out for me my entire life? I'm a capable person. He said, well, if you were capable, then I wouldn't have had to murder her for you. And then everyone's like, oh. So there's lots of interesting variations on how you can do this. Obviously, if you're doing uh, multiple shows, you want to don't want it to be the same every time. So maybe sometimes it's the first person 
ends up first person accused ends up doing it sometimes the second sometimes it's a third sometimes a person will confess of course like i said there can be secondary murders there can be third murders <laughs> there can be fourth murders even though it's hard to you have to have a reason why someone murdered all of those people but then of course there can be multiple murders so maybe one person murdered the first person and so maybe that person who's accused, one of the per people who are accused, ends up confessing, all right, fine, you're right, I did kill the reporter, but I didn't kill the professor. Then you have to f figure that out. Uh, again, you don't want to make it too convoluted or too argumenty. Um, another trick that you could use is there's a person that's been murdered, they've left the stage, right? Presumably they're dead. They could go in the back and do a wardrobe costume change. And they could come back as another person who had been hiding in the house all along, who had actually committed the murder, right? So there's obviously lots of variations on how you how you can resolve it. All right, so I think that that is pretty much it. Oh, well, so then then obviously once you, you know, once you know who done it, once you know who the person is, then you also have to resolve that. So it's unlikely that person, you know, maybe that person is so distraught that they do just allow themselves to be taken into captivity, uh, often at the very end. So on ours, we had guns and stuff hidden throughout the stage. I think we had three different guns. So maybe someone gets accused and then the, you know, the guilty person pulls out the gun. You know, maybe they don't verbally admit to it at first, but there's so much evidence weighted on top of them that then they just pull a gun and say, well, I wouldn't have had to do this if if the butler hadn't have let my son die back when they were in the war together and points the gun at the butler then maybe someone else pulls another gun and you have some sort of mexican standoff reservoir dog style so one way is obviously for the murderer to pull a gun on somebody else <laughs> you know then someone else also pulls a gun the most simple way for that to end would be for the murderer to just get shot in the fight someone else could die as well but the murderer gets shot in the fight that obviously resolves the thing of what do we do with the murderer because he's dead. Uh, the murderer could turn out to have an accomplice. Obviously, it could be multiple people, so and they could pull the gun. And so maybe just they were accused, they pull the gun. Well, I'd, I wouldn't have had to do it if blah, 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 blah. They're pointing the gun at someone else, and then they could say, looks like the jig's up, Mr. Donahue, it's time for us to go. And then it would turn out that someone ended up actually being their accomplice who didn't even know that they were the accomplice, right? You obviously wouldn't want to make it someone who would accuse you, but maybe someone who accused the other person. And then maybe the two of you flee while you hold the other players at gunpoint. Or maybe uh, you planted a bomb underneath the house and the whole one of our judges ended with the entire house blowing up and everyone dying. Or I guess maybe... A police officer could show up. Again, you kind of want to have it so that you've been isolated, but there are any number of ways to end it. Like I said, the most simple way is for the murderer to get in a, a Mexican stand-up with someone else and have the murderer get killed. Also, it's just, that's a resolution that the audience obviously likes to see. Usually the murderer getting away with it is unsatisfying. Another thing could be that you find out that the person that they murdered really deserved it. Maybe the person that got murdered was blackmailing everyone, which is what happens in Clue. And so then maybe everyone just decides to turn the other way because their motive was compelling and sincere enough. There's lots of different ways you can end it. That's just another separate thing that you can practice. Uh, it's just that accusation. So you don't even need to have any backstory. You can just make it all up on the spot. Of course, the accusations, again, don't have to be true. 
they're better when you tie in things because the audience is more impressed by, oh yeah, you're right, that person did say that. It could just be something, well, I looked in your briefcase earlier and you had pictures from a private investigator of this person, so clearly to say that you had never seen them before must be a lie. And that's obviously something that you could just totally make up on the spot. You can make up justifications for why a person did something. You can give them traits and things that weren't actually witnessed. But obviously the more you can pull from the backstory that you actually had is better. But with that being said, so then you can just do that as an exercise. So just, you're just going to do that final scene. There's been a murder. Okay, well, I think you did it, judge, because blah, blah, blah. And you're, now you're just making up the things since you're doing it as a standalone exercise and you just want to be able to practice making up justifications accepting the blame deferring the blame in a way that isn't in a disagreeable fighting way that kind of takes things off the rails and then after that you practice how you finally wrap it up so whether it's a shootout or whether the murderer is forgiven or however you want to end it all right so i think that's pretty much it to recap as far as things that you can practice as standalone so start by practicing the Laronde as well as the cocktail party exercise practice just doing the death scene so have everyone on stage just talking have the lights go out and practice your ability to just have a single person be dead when the lights come back on and then you can practice that final accusation wrap-up stage and all the stuff that happens in between the murder and the resolution all that will stuff will come pretty natural given all the backstory and the relationships that people have because people will have conflicts and you can either resolve those or heighten those bring them to some sort of resolution so that's really the easiest part of the show and obviously the more people who have affairs and have sexual relationships tends to just be better so I think that that's pretty much it. Again, if you have any questions, you can send me a message. And if you thought this was useful, I would appreciate it if you would rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.